many people know. In fact, it's probably one of the more famous stories of Scripture, but it's also one of the least preached on stories of Scripture because it is a strange story, to say the least. So let's, let's situate it first. Where does this story come up, the story of Samson? Well, it's in the book of Judges. And Judges was this period in Israel's history. It was about 100 years. It was after their leader, Joshua, had died. Joshua was, Joshua was the leader right after Moses, to kind of situate that. So this was 100 years after Joshua's death, before Israel actually had any kings, so before King Saul. And when you say Judges, really it's... it's better translated just like a leader, leaders. It's not really judges like Judge Judy or something like that, (laughs) although that would be interesting as well. So I have a verse up there, Judges 2, 16 through 19, and I think this, it's early on in the book of Judges, and I think it explains really what happens throughout the whole book. So I'll read it to you. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So judges, it's kind of this cycle. The Israelites are in trouble with their enemies. God raises up a judge He delivers them from their enemies. As soon as the judge dies, the people turn away from God. They indulge in their sins again, and they fall captive to their enemies. And the cycle repeats. It's it's not a very encouraging book. And this is what a professor of Old Testament had to say about Judges. Let me read this as well. Judges is one of the most unpleasant books in the Bible. A dispiriting story of rebellion against God and violence among human beings, not least violence against women, and sometimes violence by women. It thus speaks especially powerfully in a world characterized by such violence. The story becomes more dispiriting the more you read, and by the end you may wish you had not bothered. Thus, one reason it is important, and perhaps the reason God might have wanted such an unpleasant work in the Bible, is that it forces us to come to terms with the reality of how things are in the world, and often in the church. It epitomizes the way the Bible is not escapist literature, nor is it focused simply on me and my personal relationship with God. So this is the case for the whole book of Judges, and I'd say that it's especially true for the story of Samson. On Monday, uh, this past Monday, Sarah and I were driving to our community group, which if you're not in one, you should get plugged into one, but we were driving on our way, and I was telling Sarah the story of Samson, because she was familiar with parts of it, but a lot of us don't hear the whole story, so I was telling it to her as we were driving, and we pulled up outside the house that we were going to, and I finished telling it to her. I told her the ending, and she looked at me, and she was like, and, and that's it? That's really how it ends? And she looked kind of disgusted, like, why, 
Why would you tell me this story? Why are we going to talk about this story? And why in the world is this story in the Bible? So with that, let me tell you the story. <laughs> right? Now, it's kind of a long story, but it's super interesting. And it's all one long narrative. So I want to encourage you, pay attention as, as much as you can. Uh, try and imagine these things. If you need to close your eyes and picture these characters in your mind, uh, do that, but it's a very powerful story, and a big part of this sermon is simply going to be telling the story and letting it have its effect on us. So the beginning, and it's Judges 13 through 16. I'm not going to read all of it from the scriptures, but if you do want to come back to it, that's where it's at, and a lot of this will be uh, direct verses. All right, so we begin with Samson's birth. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord this cycle that's going on. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So already we know something special is going to happen with Samson, right? An angel comes to the mother who's barren which had happened uh, before to Abraham's wife, Sarah, and an angel of the Lord comes to Mary, Jesus' mother. So these very important people in Scripture, somehow they're not born like regular people are born. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. It's a pretty happy story so far. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manahadan between Zorah and Eshtael. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and the mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all our people, that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Samson apparently convinces his parents that they should get this woman for her. So they all go down to Timnah, which is a town in the Philistines, to get her. Now on the way, Samson goes off from them. He's exploring on his own or something, and he gets attacked by a young lion. Right Now this is part of the story you've probably heard. Uh, the text tells us that the spirit of the Lord rushes onto Samson and he's able to tear this lion apart like you would tear apart a young goat. Um, and he doesn't tell his parents about this. Right, so there's a couple pieces of artwork. This is a pretty famous one. And then the next one is pretty interesting. This is a statue that's in St. Petersburg, Russia, just out in the plaza. And it's pretty funny. He's opening the mouth and water's shooting out, Right. It's pretty interesting. Um, so through this artwork, what I want to show is that this story has really permeated much of Western culture. So we'll see that as we go on. All right, so he doesn't tell his parents. He finishes his journey, 
to Timnah, and after spending some time with this girl that he's planning to marry, he returns home, and he passes the lion carcass again. Now this time, this is pretty strange, there's a swarm of bees inside it, and there's honey from these bees inside of the carcass. So Samson goes into this carcass, and he scoops out the honey in his hands so he has a nice snack as he walks home of lion carcass honey. And I love this piece. This is a more contemporary one, and it's got Samson sitting in between the ripped apart lion, just devouring some honey. And oldandnewproject.com is what this is from, and it's all this um, more contemporary interpretations of a lot of biblical stories. It's really cool. So, so Samson's eating this honey. He's walking home, which, by the way, if you remember when we read the Nazarite vow, he's not supposed to go near any dead things at all, not even family members at a funeral. But apparently he was pretty impressed how he killed this lion, and then maybe he had a sweet tooth like I do. And, uh, and he scoops up this honey. He goes home. He gives some to his parents. They enjoy the honey. Again, he keeps a secret from them. He does not tell them that he got this honey from a lion carcass which was probably good not to tell them. All right. So now, after they enjoy the honey, the family goes back to Timnah, which is where this girl is, and they're going to begin the wedding ceremony, the wedding feast. It's a big seven-day feast. So 30 Philistine companions are brought to this wedding, probably maybe friends of the bride, maybe important Philistines that they wanted to be at the wedding. And this is a, an inter-ethnic wedding. So it's, it's not very common back then. Uh, so there's already some tension there. But 30 of these Philistines are there. Samson, as he's entertaining people at his wedding, he decides, I have an idea. I'm going to tell them a riddle, right? This will be fun. I'll give them a riddle. But then he attaches a wager to it. Now, if they can get the riddle right, he will give them each a new outfit. But if they can't guess it, they all have to give him one outfit, so really, he's got the better end of the bargain because he gets 30 new outfits. They each just get one if they guess it. Okay, here's the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now, we might be able to guess this, but having not known what happened earlier in the story, I doubt these folks could. And they can't. It takes three days. The Philistines can't guess it. They're getting pretty upset. So what they do is they find Samson's new wife. And they say, listen, you're one of us. You're one of our people. Now, like, trick Samson to tell you the answer to the riddle, you know, because you're his wife, and then you tell us, and it'll all be good. But if you don't, we're going to burn you and your whole father's household alive. So these people are, are, are pretty brutal. So she complies. She approaches Samson, weeping, and she says, you only hate me. You do not love me. You've put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not even told my father or my mother. Why would I tell you? She wept before him for seven days, the whole feast. And on the seventh day, he finally told her because she pressed him hard. She told the riddle to her people. They came to Samson. They told him the answer. He's furious because he figures out it's because he told his wife. So what he does in his rage is he goes down to another city in Philistine and he murders 30 men and takes their clothes and brings them and delivers them to these people who won the riddle. 
So it's new clothes, but it's clothes of their own people that were murdered. From there, he goes back to Judah. He goes back to his hometown, probably because, uh, well, he knows he just caused quite a ruckus. So as he's home away from his wife, his new father-in-law, there are, again, in, in Philistines, in Timnah, realizes, okay, now my daughter's alone. He thinks that Samson abandoned her. So what he does is he gives his daughter to who was the best man, essentially, at the wedding, one of Samson's pals who's over there. So now Samson's wife is married to her. Samson's in Judah. Some time passes. He maybe clears his mind. He brings a gift to come back to his wife, and he, he, he wants her back, right? The father-in-law is there, and he says, no, you, you can't even see her. She's married to someone else now because I thought you abandoned my daughter. So Samson, right, gets enraged again, and this time what he does, it's also quite clever. He goes and he takes foxes, he ties them, their, their tails together, and he ties torches to their tails somehow, lights the torches, and sends 300 foxes into the, the fields of the Philistines, right? So he burns all of their grain harvest. He burns um, their olive uh, harvest. He really destroys all of their way to, to have an economy um, in this way. So then he goes back to Judah again, again, realizing he's probably frustrated all of the Philistines here. Goes back to Judah and he hides. The Philistines come to Judah, and what they do now is they say, give us Samson. We know he's here. Give him to us, or we're going to basically mess you guys up. You know? And there was more Philistines than there were uh, Israelites in that town anyways. So they comply. They go and they find Samson, and they say, Samson, we need to hand you over. And he says, okay, just promise me you won't attack me. They say, we won't. They bind him up. They bring him. They deliver him to the Philistines. And then what does he do? The spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He breaks out of these uh, ties. And with the jawbone of an ass, of a donkey, he kills a thousand Philistines. After this, we get to chapter 16, where it becomes kind of the most famous part of the story, I think. Um, So let's continue on. He kills a thousand Philistines. What does he do? He goes to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson laid only until midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah, right? Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but this is the first woman's name that gets named in this story. Samson's mother is not even named. Uh, his first wife is never named. The prostitute is not named. This is the first woman who's named, and, and that's kind of interesting. It's kind of important. So Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her, and they said to her, similar to his first wife, they know maybe he's not too good with a secret, seduce him 
And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. So next in the text, there's these three instances where Samson tells her, okay, if you get these sort of ropes and tie me up, then I won't be able to get out of them. So she gets these ropes, she binds him up when he's asleep, and then it's almost like this little game. She says, Samson, the Philistines are going to get you. And then what does he do? He breaks out of the ropes and attacks the Philistines that have came to get him. They run away. Then it happens again, and he says, oh, no, you need these certain types of ropes. And then he says, no, you need to get, like, braids of my hair and use those ropes. And all these different things, three times, Three times he breaks out, and it, it seems like this little game or something. Then she says to him, these are interesting words, I think. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, His soul was vexed to death, and he told her all his heart, and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. There's a couple pictures we'll see of this scene. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. So we have an old one. It's kind of hard to see. And in this one, I don't know if you can see it. It's a more modern take. She's got a razor in her hand, and there's hair all over the floor. And again, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said... I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. Now in this period in history, grinding at the mill, grinding the grain, Um, in this sort of economy, that was a job usually for the women in the community because the men would be at the plowshare doing sort of the, the, the more physically hard labor and the women were grinding the grain. So Samson, throughout this story, these three women, he obviously breaks the heart of his mom who must have been excited that there's gonna be this child dedicated to the Lord. He doesn't treat his first wife all that well. He engages with the prostitute And then Delilah is the name woman, so her relationship's a little harder to tell. But there are first these three women, and then what happens to Samson, this powerful man? He gets blinded, his eyes caged out, and in the prison he gets given the job of a woman, someone whom he did not seem to respect too much earlier on. But, here's, here's the but in the story, the hair of his head began to grow again. 
Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. So imagine this. You have to kind of picture some of these things. This is this blind, beaten man. There's a a piece of artwork of a, a blinded Samson who now is chained up, and he's supposed to be entertaining them somehow at their great festival to their God. It's pretty twisted. So he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rest, that I may lean against them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. This, we believe, is the word of the Lord. This story is God speaking to us. But I think if we take it seriously, it's a very strange story, and it's not an easy story. There's a lot of elements happening in it. Um, And it's kind of hard. It's kind of a hard story, and, and that's okay. So beyond this art that I've already showed as I was telling the story, Part of what I wanted to do now was look at some other ways that people have interpreted this story. Because it's been a powerful story to people in the church, but also people outside of the church. And I think it's interesting if we can kind of catch on to that. So one of them, some of these are are more humorous, some of them are more uh, serious and sincere. So the first one, as a bit of uh, comic relief after a heavy story, we will watch the trailer from uh, Cecil DeMille's Samson and Delilah from 1949. So with that, let's watch it.
So what do you think? Are you going to go see it this weekend? <laughs> it features a cast of thousands. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty funny, but if you even listen to the way Samson is portrayed in that. Alone and unafraid, he killed these, you know, he, he's given this superhero status in there, um, which is interesting, and it works well with, with Hollywood, and there's already some Hollywood aspects of the story. Uh, so next, I have some comic books from the 1960s, and these are called Mighty Samson. Um, and what it says at the bottom there is Samson uses his stupendous strength to battle fantastic creatures in a primitive world of the future. <laughs> and there's a, there's a few of them. Um, this one, he's battling a gorilla mutant to end the treetop terror. And uh, this one, there's some sort of reptile with laser eyes. Uh, and then this one, it says, Queen, Queen Terra orders her invincible slave robot to bring her a prize captive. Samson. So he's embodied kind of in this pop culture here as this strange mutant fighting thing. And there's elements of that kind of with the weird animal interactions in the story already. So it's a bit far-fetched, but it's kind of fun. Then after that, we go to music and you have a song. Grateful Dead did a song, Samson and Delilah. And the chorus was, if I had my way, I would tear this old building down. And the song kind of has this motivational feel to it. The verses tell different aspects of Samson's life, and then the chorus is what I just said. And it's kind of like, you can do it, you know. If I have, I'm just going to tear this building down. Uh, more recently, in 2006, there was a song by Regina Spector, who is a, uh, a pop, indie pop artist. She plays piano a lot, called Samson, and... Uh, a line in the chorus goes, you are my sweetest downfall. I loved you first. I loved you first. And uh, the song seems to speak to unhealthy love and the pain that comes from even ending an unhealthy relationship. And it, you can tell she really, she really dove into Samson and Delilah and tried to embody that love relationship as if they were real humans and not just uh, maybe comic book figures. Uh, beyond that, in 2009, there was a film called Samson and Delilah, which uh, was filmed in Australia. Uh, it's these two Aboriginal kids, Aborigines, who uh, fall in love, kind of. It's directed by Warwick Thornton. It's 2009, and actually at the film festival, the film festival, I don't know how you say it, Cannes, Cannes, you know, that place in uh, France. <laughs> Well, they won the gold camera award there, um, which, is, which is a prestigious award for this film. And in it, you kind of see these, these two fall in love with each other. And it's interesting because their relationship with each other, they're in this real kind of bad situation with both their families. And it's a very poor town. And they fall in love with each other. And in doing so, they end up kind of saving each other. But also they end up destroying each other. And I think it shows some of the strange relationship dynamics that is actually in Samson and Delilah, too, that with unhealthy relationships, the way uh, both good and great bad can come from that. And then a final piece of, of artwork that has been about this really just it came out last month, came out in October, 
It's a, a musician and a singer called Vivi Brown. Veronica, I think, is her real name. She's in London, and she came out with this album called Samson and Delilah. And the whole thing for her, basically her story is um, about five years ago, she started to get quite a lot of attention. And she moved to L.A., signed, I think, to Island Records, which is a pretty good record label. And uh, she put a lot of time, they put a lot of money into what was going to be her second full-length album. And at the end, when it was just about to be released, she finally decided, I can't do this. I won't release this. That's really hard to do after all that money and probably a lot of contractual stuff with the record label. So what she does is she, she gets out of her deal. Um, then she was offered a deal by P. Diddy's record label. And she turns that down. She moves back to London. And she starts her own record label. And this is the first album that she releases on it, Samson and Delilah. And she found great encouragement in the story of Samson and Delilah and found pieces of the artist, she said, in Samson as someone who is being challenged to basically conform or, or to uh, give in. And so she, she saw Delilah as these record labels trying to get her strength from her. And eventually she... She has to go through that period of, of dying and then is able to make this new piece of uh, work. So the reason I wanted to show these pieces of artwork, right, is again to show that this story has had an effect on a lot of people. Um, again, inside the church and outside the church. But what in the world do we do with it as Christians? Because um, it is strange. So first off, this, this is what I think we have to note is that whether we initially like Samson or not, and you might not, there's a lot not to like about him, right? There are some things maybe you will find intriguing, but he's a strange character. But whether we initially like him or not, uh, the New Testament seems to like him. And in Hebrews 11, there's this cloud of witnesses. They talk about these great heroes of the faith, and Samson gets listed there. So he's a hero of our faith. And in that, I think, lies some tension, some tension and some mystery. How is this man um, who breaks his vows with God, he indulges in lust and selfishness, he lives a, a pretty tragic life, yet he somehow shows us what it looks like to have faith. I think there's two ways that we can kind of see Samson's faith. Um, the first is I think we can see his faith as a work of the Spirit. And the second is as a type of Christ. So, a work of the Spirit. Interestingly enough, the first time the phrase, the Spirit of the Lord, is used in the Old Testament is in this book of Judges, earlier in the book. And Samson, it's used with him the most out of Judges, uh, four times. And when you see the Spirit of the Lord in your English translations. It's kind of hard to see, but Lord is all caps there. And when the translators do that, they're translating uh, Yahweh. So it's the spirit of Yahweh, which is um, personal name for God. And this is the first time it's, it's used in the Old Testament here. So we get these four phrases for Samson, and they're each pretty mysterious, and they're each, interestingly enough, described very passionately. The spirit, in the first one, the spirit of the Lord stirs him. 
the word there is almost like a, a violent stirring. It like mixes with his emotions there. Um, later on, the next three times, and there are all these sort of violent situations, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. Again, it rushes. It's, it's quick. It's not, and the spirit of the Lord gently approaches him. It, it rushes to him, right? There's some passion going on there. Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I think what Samson does, what this, what this book does, this story, in showing us kind of these mysterious ways the Spirit is used, Samson never really acknowledges them the first few times. Only at the end of the book does he seem to acknowledge that he needs God for this. Because even when he tells Delilah, he says, okay, if you cut off my hair, I'll be like a regular guy because I will have broken my vow with God. He says this to her, but then after she does it, he wakes up and he says, oh, I'm just going to break free again. So you have to wonder, is this showing his faith? Did he even really believe that without his hair, he'd be powerless? Because he, he acts in the same way. So I think it's only really in the end that we see Samson acknowledge this spirit of the Lord upon him. And this is when he calls to the Lord and he says, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And it continues, and Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength. So I think Samson here shows us faith in his recognition of God's purposes for his life and his willingness to sacrifice to live into those purposes. Unfortunately, he doesn't recognize this until the end of his life. But I think part of what we see in Samson is the power of the Spirit to use our own passions in kingdom-advancing ways, whether we know it or not. And it may be a mystery to us, So in most of the story of Samson, I think when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, there's something mysterious. I don't think he fully knows what's going on there. Seems like he's just acting into his passions. He's angry at these people, so he kills them. He wants this Philistine woman, so he goes after her. But somehow, God is taking those passions and using his spirit to actually free the Israelites in this act. But the faithful act of Samson, however which I just said, and I'll say it again, is when Samson finally sees the world as God sees it and lives into that reality. It's when he recognizes the spirit in his life. And this is when, at the end of his life, he decides to sacrifice, to live into what his life purpose was. Even before his birth, it was predicted, right? It was said, this man is going to deliver these people from Israel. And he finally lives into that reality. And it's, it's a tragic way. The story is a, is, is a comedy. It ends well. There's these ups and downs. It ends well. Israel's delivered. His body gets taken back to his family, which is usually a good thing for them. Um, but his life is a tragedy, and it doesn't end so well. Secondly, I think Samson shows his faith in that he is a type of Christ. When I say that, I mean that he uh, mirrors elements of Christ's life to us. And in the similarities, we see Christ, but then also, strikingly, in the dissimilarities, we're shown more of the glory of Christ. So I have this verse, which again speaks to the Spirit in 2 Corinthians, and also to this idea of mirroring Christ. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. The Spirit, right, transforms us into the image of Christ. And we see that the Spirit was in Samson's life, right? We looked at those four instances where the Spirit rushes upon him. But how about Christ? How is Christ in Samson's life? Well, I think the text wants us to make these comparisons because even from the beginning, we see his special birth where an angel of the Lord comes upon him. Like I said, similar to Mary's story where an angel of the Lord comes. But also he's sort of predicted or told from the beginning of his life, you are going to deliver Israel from their captivity under the Philistines, right? Jesus is told, you are going to deliver these people from their sins, be the Messiah of Israel. So that's in the birth. However, I think it's also interesting in their death, because both Christ and Samson eventually save the people by an unconventional position of weakness, right? They both die uh, so that others may live. Now, with his last words, Samson, what does he do? The text says that he bows. Now, part of this is because he's got these pillars, right? And so to bow, he's, he's bringing them down. But it's also a, a posture of falling onto your knees. And before that, he's saying, God, just l- let me do this that I may die with them, um, but he, he's bowing, he's falling to his knees in order that his people may be freed. Jesus, right, is similar. In torture and in humiliation on a cross, he willingly submits to crucifixion and he defeats death by death. Now, Samson cannot completely compare to Jesus, right? Uh, Samson dies so others may live. Jesus dies, but defeats death, and in that is himself resurrected, resurrected to new life. And in that he reconciles himself to us and us to himself. And, and this really is the point of communion, and that's where we're moving next in our, in our service, is to celebrate, to worship, to celebrate communion together. And so... Hopefully, Samson, is, the story is not completely solved for you. Hopefully, it's not, oh, it's just A, B, C, D, and then it's over. But really, some of the issues ought to linger with you. Um, and that's okay, and that's good. Let them work on you. Be reminded um, of at least these two things as you see the Spirit move in Samson and as you see Christ in Samson. Be encouraged, but also be a little challenged by it. That's okay. Let's celebrate communion. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning um, thankful for your word, thankful that it's not always easy, that it's not always uh, simple, Lord. In fact, sometimes things are uh, a little mysterious in it. Help us to be okay with that, Lord. Help us to actually celebrate that and be transformed through that. Help us also, though, Lord, to see 
these stories, to see this scripture as your word, as a a word from you that speaks to us, that ought to encourage us, God, that ought to challenge us, that ought to, as 2 Corinthians says, transform us into the image of your Son, Lord. May your word make us more like you so that we can love the world, that we can serve the world, and that we can see others molded into your image. We pray, Lord, as we take communion this morning, that we may be reminded of your sacrifice to us, that we may be reminded of the great gift of your life, the great gift of your death, Lord, and the glory of your resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.